G'day, it's Phil here. Will Stubbley and Saxon Phipps are smart, smart guys who follow their passions, connect with their emotions, and have rare insights into the transitions in people's lives. They've been able to shape a remarkable social enterprise around what it is that they're seeing in society today called Year 13. I can't wait to share more with you, Game Changers, about their journey today. I'm excited. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our special series sponsor? Thanks, Adriana. Of course I can. Man Cave Academy provides unique training programs that are designed to share the Man Cave's experience from working with over 20,000 teenage boys across Australia. Learn more at themancave.life. That's themancave.life. Let's go. Will and Saxon, thank you very much for joining me again. I'm going to jump straight into my first question um, for you, which is about year 13. I want to know about how you solve problems. You said that fundamentally everything you do in the last episode is about problem solving. How do you solve a problem? So Zach sort of mentioned it last time as well. We we use data to inform our decision making and and you know, this data is this thing that gets thrown around and, and depending on you know what you, who you are and what you do, it can be really misconstrued. The advantage we have is we have 1.6 million annual users on our platform, which means we get a lot of insights off the data that, that we get. So, and that's the important part is insights. Data really is nothing until it provides you an insight that you can then action. And we, through our platform and also through our various channels and all the research that we do, we get all these insights that we can then leverage to use to actually solve the problems that we face in front of us. So the thing is we're focused on this transition out of school space. So that's really the main things that we're looking to solve and, and the main place that we play in. So if you're using <laughs> data to solve problems, which is great, and you're using wide variety of data and so on, once you've got the data, what do you do with it? How do you sort it out? How does it help you find the right path? So there's two sides of that. You got the, like, even from the quantitative side of, of the data that we get, we get um, insights on what people are interested in based on what they're reading. So, you know, we can see that uh, carpentry is more more uh, more interesting than, than, say, plumbing. Or And then we've actually got our quantitative surveys that we do and we actually ask our audience of exactly what they're thinking about certain topics. And then thirdly, you can do some qualitative stuff, which is you know, focus groups and, and things like that. So you're getting to know people and you're actively engaging with them individually and also you're actively engaging with them as consumers. You've then got a whole series of insights that might then frame a hypothesis because you both talked about hypotheses a lot. So you set yourself up with a model. What do you then do? One of the big things I think is that we, with, with any data that we receive, um, we actually put that back to the individuals and the audience who provided us with that. So, as I mentioned, we've we've got a you know an, a proprietary research piece called After the ATAR, in which we've done three different instalments on. We've been able to highlight key issues, which we've then researched further. But once we do that, um, we actually to those individuals, we we share it back to them to say. This is what your answers led to, um, and this is what we've published. So this this is for you. And um, whenever any of our work has been used for, for the development of policy or programs, we then share that back with that same audience to say, hey, listen. So there's been a major focus on student well-being since you know you contributed to this piece. 
And this has now led to the student wellbeing framework in which we were cited, I think, 11 times in the development around that. And so it's, it, it's not our, we don't do anything on our own biases. Um, we do it purely on, as Will said, we are able to look at problems and then have the data to be able to support a hypothesis around that problem, validate it through an audience. And then once we do, we then recycle it back to, for that further validation. And I guess that's why we have such a strong, engaged user base and the brand equity that we have with our audience has, has really been because we've been really transparent with it. We're not hiding any issues. We're not hiding any in anything that we do. Um, and I think it's it's just case in point that we need to be transparent. And in businesses, you need to be transparent with each other. Um, Will and I have never had an argument with each other unless it comes down to footy teams. Um, but it's just, again, that transparency and having people feel empowered through your work. And, and that's really how we're using it to solve those problems. So there's principles about taking data, connecting the data to the external research that you've got. So you're validating against external sources. You're validating against your community, both the individual experiences and the group experiences. And then it's guiding you down pathways, but you're then being really transparent about what you do and how you do that. Now, to me, this sounds like solution architecture within a 21st century context. This sounds like the way in which we need to be educating students to prepare to enter into the workforce. And if we're going to educate students like that, maybe we should be running our schools this way too. Maybe we should be focusing a lot more on being evidence-based and research-based about what we do. How do you guys make decisions about what you're going to do next? I guess it goes into what you are just saying. A good result of running and starting a business is you very quickly learn that you have no idea about most things. And that's why we use data and like we use the process that we've built is because we don't know. And so we, we, we don't want to make the decisions based on what we think. It's we want to make it on what we can prove. And we are always laying little bets and little tests um, based on what we think is going to work and then what actually does work, we double down on. So our whole ethos as a business is test and learn. So don't think something, know something. So we put something out as we start to understand it, test it, learn, improve, keep iterating. If anyone else that's been listening to, yeah, listen to a lot of start, like startup or how things are built, it really is iteration and how quickly you can iterate. And we do that across the entire business. I was just going to say, and I think we have something that we, we practice and we encourage not just to our business, but to our audience is to fail. Like failure is the only, the only way you can learn. Like if we had got, this business right in its first three months, I couldn't, we would not have been able to tell you why. It's only been through failure that we have been able to pivot, regroup, and then grow. And I think it's going back to the whole principles of our business is that like failure is a part of success. It's the, it's the major component. You know, if you continually succeed, 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 then when you actually hit that fork in the road or you or things don't go to plan or everything, you, know, you go to the other side of the roller coaster and it's all downhill, then you, you, you're not going to know how to respond. You're not going to, you're not going to know how to keep resilience. And so for us, it's just we practice what we preach by fail quick. We don't hold each other, you know, don't hold it over Stubbs' head and say, like, I told you this wasn't going to work. It's like, 
so why didn't that work? And then we go, well, I don't think that worked because it is. So we'll turn a, a failure into a how might we? And then again, go through that same process. So there's very deliberate culture in all of this. It goes to the transparency piece, doesn't it? There's nothing that you're saying now that I'm getting the sense that you haven't said before in some context. So you've thought deeply about this stuff and you've articulated your approach and your culture, the way you do things. Do you run your business that way? Do you talk to people about how we do things? Yeah, our, the culture that we have at Year 13 um, is something that we've, we, we protect greatly. It's what, a, it's what I'm most, most proud about. Sorry, it's just what I'm most proud about. That's the only thing I wanted to put that in there. <laughs> yeah, completely. Like it's a very, very you know, holocratic um, process in here is that you know, it's a very flat structure. Someone who could be in our dev team could have an amazing idea about what we could do with our TikTok and, and youth team. And we encourage that. Like, again, it's it's not stick to your lane and 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 do your job. It's like, you know, do your job and help the others around you. And, you know, it's a great saying that Stubbs always uses is that a rising tide floats all boats. And in year 13, we, we really practice that. We, we, we want people to feel as though they can learn from others and they can make mistakes. It's not held over them. We've got some rituals in the business that we practice every single morning. And it's to really be able to, you know, empower our staff, our the people in here to want to be able to do, you know, amazing things with their own careers. And collectively, when you have that and you protect it, it's by design to be able to have that culture. You all, everyone wants to work at, you know, the cool workplace. And so if, you, if we can have one which is actually empowering, it actually, it, it gives you meaning, it gives you purpose, it, that filters into other areas of your life, be that your mental health, your physical health, your relationships, then it's how we want to live our lives and it's how we want to be able to you know, help influence a generation to be able to be empowered and, and more pragmatic and, and more productive in, in their lives and their work. So, so if I put all of this together, I mean, we talk about schools as being ideally communities of inquiry and practice where everybody is learning on the same principles. If I look at the principles, and I've, been, I've just been writing these down here in my coloured pens on my notepad as I've been going along, you're talking about deliberate culture within a flat structure where it's built on principles of helping everybody around you. It's principles of collecting data and being transparent about the data. It's principles of going out there and looking for the research and then and then validating against it. You test and learn, you fail and iterate. And behind all of that is this combination of purpose and humility, because you don't need ego if you've got purpose, do you? And you, you kind of put all of those sorts of things together. Well, I think one of the challenges that we've got in education is, is that education has been traditionally based on a very hierarchical model. It's been based on um, a canon of knowledge and expertise that has been jealously guarded by gatekeepers and who pass that on to people. And then you've got to jump through hoops and pass tests as you go. It's always about the image of maintaining perfection, that everything's smooth, everything's okay. There's some, there's some real stuff for us to learn here. Do schools need to be more like businesses? Schools are businesses. Sachs, what was that um what was that doco we watched about that school in America? Yeah, um, it- it was it, the, the documentary is called Most Likely to Succeed, and it's the uh, High Tech High. High Tech High, of course it is. I think it was called. <laughs> that that approach was is it's it's unquestionable how successful that really is. Like it's that's a startup. 
Yeah, okay. it's a startup, exactly. And you're taking three different subjects and you're combining it to one. And not only is it, you know, learning about a subjects, but it's also about, you know, Will is a, is, is a, is a natural leader. He's a natural problem solver. And if you take someone like Will and you pair them with someone who might be a very creative thinker and someone who's very analytical and you, and you combine that and you give them a problem to be able to solve, then you're going to be empowering the individual. And when you look at how maybe the analytical thinker doesn't really like public speaking, they don't like giving directions, you give them that power, you put that hat on them and they've got to guide that team. It's only going to build their character strengths, their resilience, their perspectives, their opinions. So yeah, the high tech hive was, it was an incredible example as, as to not only changing the way education is delivered, but also the character strengths that it, that it develops. You work, it's the teamwork and how the modern workforce works. Subs and I often talk about this. There is absolutely no way possible that we, you could run a business without having a partnership and having someone who you can go through that journey with. It's like, it's, there's too many emotions. There's too many trials and tribulations. There's too many decisions. And, you know, we're fortunate that we, we were able to work in you know, the vet sector. We were working in hospitality. And then we, the skills we learned through that helped build our relationship to do that. But it's not, this isn't the process in the education system. Again, it's like the, the education system kills creativity for compliance to sit in this box and then go off into the world and obey that and follow that. And people are like, well, hang on a sec, but what about my marks? Like, what's that worth? It's like, no, we're actually wanting the people who can work and lead and communicate and can take on criticism and can take on feedback and keep iterating. And um, yeah, so I know I'm ranting once again, but no, that's no, it's, it's perfect. I mean, this is what we want. We want we want people who will thrive in their world. We want people who who can learn, who can live, who can lead, and who can work. Who understand the components of it. Who have self awareness. Who build relationship profound sense of service and can find vocation along the way. We want people who are good people, who are future builders, who are continuous learners and unlearners, who are solution architects, responsible citizens and team creators. This is what we want for the, from the world. Um, uh, this is what the world tells us that we want. You know, we've been engaged in the world's largest and longest running um, research project into character education. This is what families and communities tell us all around the world they want. They want their children to be more like you and your business are, you know, because they recognise that that's what's required in the world. Part of the challenge of our profession is to change the game. That's why we call what we do game changers, because we're trying to hold up examples of people who are changing the game. So it will give people the courage they need to take that step forward and up. We, we often talk about the notion um, that we teach who we are. So if we don't have that purpose and humility to keep learning and testing and iterating about the project that is ourselves, how are we ever going to teach that to kids? I think probably one of the biggest shifts that occurred in my career was when I realised that it wasn't about the stuff that I was teaching. You know, I was a history teacher and um, I had a strange fascination with things that were old and Greek. And, and so, you know, I would teach the origin of the Peloponnesian Wars and Thucydides and things like that. And, and I loved it because of the inherent joy that I got out of really, really old stuff. And yet, at the end of the day, what I was teaching in history was less about Athens, Sparta and Megara and more about how people do the things they do. And that's 
agency and then why they do the things they do that's causation and then how to balance an understanding of the different components of it and as soon as I realized that about my role as a history teacher everything changed because if it's about stuff then you get rewarded because you know more stuff and can spit it out but it doesn't help you to thrive in your world it doesn't help you to function around what it is that you do can I shift the conversation I want to talk about money if I can because again People in education um, worry about money, um, but they don't like to talk about it. One of the challenges in any business to move from a startup phase into whatever a continuing organised successful business is these days, because I'm, I don't know about you guys, I've been, I've been doing this, what, 10, 12 years now. I just feel in startup mode the whole time yeah. um, uh, around, you know, what we've been doing at a school for tomorrow and before that circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. At some point, you need to learn how to make the whole financial investment side of a business work. Do you want to talk to our listeners a little bit about that journey, which says you start with 20 grand each, and your first $20,000 is the most amount of money and the, the biggest risk you're ever going to take because you've got nothing else at that point, do you? So it's like, how do you go from that to thinking about investment to securing investment? Talk us through the journey. There is this misconception that, that making money is this dirty thing. But for there's, and you know, to be fair, we maybe even thought that in the early days. It's like, you know, you, you, this purpose and mission and values is separate to the business where you actually need to build a sustainable business to actually do like there's this sort of misconception that there's these that they're um, they need to be separate things once you realize that like making money is actually like in a business context is actually represent representation of value and the value you're creating that's where there's a mind mindset shift and a lot of this for us has been a journey of mindset and and understanding how things actually work the biggest thing was actually understanding cool from a you know as we transitioned from being you know very much you know a business just to support to being into a proper business that we need to grow and because really the nice thing about our business is actually the bigger we get the more people we help and the last part of that is is the big the more people we help the more money money we make and so the way that that is sort of represented is for our business at least, and, and you know, we've got a very nice symbiotic relationship with our users and customers, is, is for us a good result for our users is actually a good result for our customers. So our customers are you know, employers, educators, travel providers, like the pathway providers, and our users are our young people that are actually trying to figure out what they want to do. And so as we make money, it's actually a representation of how well we're fulfilling a service because if both outcome, if both sides of that equation are getting a good outcome, then why shouldn't you then get a bit of money uh, along the way? To get to that point, though, is, was, it took, <laughs> um, yeah, it took a number of years to, to, to figure that out. And to put that into perspective of how hard that was, you know, Sachs and I didn't take an income for at least four years, I don't know, maybe five years. We were still working at pubs. We had 10 staff and we were still working at pubs every night. So it was a very hard slog, like, which I wouldn't recommend if I was like anyone's starting a business. It's, no, but, but, but it's, it's par for the course though. It's yeah. Abso it's, yeah. Abso it's absolutely par for the course. That's what you do when yeah. you start these things off. So, and, and to a certain extent, I, I don't know how you succeed without a track record and self-sacrifice. Yeah. No, but, but I'll say that about you. you. You'd never talk about yourself in that in that in that frame because you're way too modest. But okay, so you you've got ten people working for you. 
you're diverting all of the funds back into the business itself and in supporting the people around you. Tell us about your transition point where it goes from being this sort of subsistence pursuit of a social purpose and making things work and then suddenly things take off a bit. Yeah, so I don't know, Sachs, if you want to mention it, but um, the, the thing I'll, I'll sort of caveat there is, is like, is we, um, like Sachs and I both do have a, a, a really strong risk tolerance. We've got a sort of, we always seem to just keep loading the chips and that's sort of where we, um, where, yeah, it's been to our benefit and and sort of detriment in, in depending on how you look at it is because we were, you know, bringing on staff before like we were getting paid. We even got an office before we were like properly, we were actually paying for the office out of our other um, jobs that we're doing. So maybe I'd set that up for Saks to sort of talk about because that's when I went like, you know, this is, we actually need it sort us out <laughs> yeah i guess by by that stage um you know we'd always we knew the sacrifices we were making were for tomorrow's betterment and that we needed to bring on you know have staff we wanted staff to be able to have you know security in what they were doing and will and i obviously always knew we we knew what we were the path that we were on and the sacrifices that we needed to make so working you know 40 hours a week in in Oh, 50 hours a week on the business from kind of nine to five and then in bars from six till 11, 12 most nights. Um, it was a test of the endurance, but it was also a, we understood what hard work was and we understood what we needed to be able to endure, to be able to get to a point. And we were really fortunate that we got to this, this kind of stage where we built an audience, we shown um, that we could make money. Um, we, we, we're continuing to reinvest it in the company and we we were fortunate to be able to secure some some um you know still legacy partners today of year 13 who took different sponsorships and were able to create um really intuitive products for them and we just got to this kind of bleeding edge where we had a lot of interest in in year 13 um you know we were still very much so working out the business and we um we got invited to kind of take a part in, in, in a few different kind of startup initiatives, um, which we'd kind of kept quite far from. Um, not only did we not have the time, Stubbs is still at uni at this stage as well, but um, we we didn't want the, the distraction. And so we were fortunate enough um, to kind of have two mentors who kind of came into the picture. Um, and the, the idea of funding started to really start to come up you know it funding isn't about putting into the into our pockets it was really about excel starting that acceleration of the business and we're incredibly proud to be able to say that we are a bootstrapped company or we were a bootstrapped company and we were able to do that for the first you know six five six years and then we had um some yeah, the opportunity for, for investment to be able to, to be to be made. Um, and I guess for Stubbs and I, we we had to look at what the long-term vision of the business was and how we were going to get there. And funding was the was really the option for us at that stage. And so and look, this was the benefit of us going through the hard slog is yeah, we raised uh like five hundred grand um from but like more importantly from some of Australia's best investors. Um and you know, it got us on the pathway to then, you know, that high, like allows us to hire some more developers, allow us to sort of steady the ship, allow us to grow, to then get to that sort of, like that's, I guess, what you call like an angel round. And then we got to, 
yeah, I think it was about 12 months later, maybe 18 months later, where we'd grown a lot. We then were able to build, like bring on a couple million dollars from, you know, even more, I guess, respected investors, um, which really, that's when, you know, I guess about two years ago, three years ago, um, we were able to really sort of establish ourselves, like, well, really sort of build a bit of a, around the business in terms of like we we're clearly market leaders first mover advantage there wasn't really else anyone else that was sort of doing what we we're doing or able to sort of take us on and that's where we were then able to get to I guess where we are now where we have to build up you know we've got large um, enterprise level contracts with multiple different organizations we work with state federal government we've got about 1500 schools in our network 988 of them are, are paying customers so we've got a very established business now where to the point of that in the last year, that's when we we're able to build, you know, really pull, you know, the trigger, had a big partnership with Microsoft and Microsoft injected, well, through their venture fund, injected uh, $10 million into us. So there's... That's an, that's an extraordinary story, boys. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a remarkable adventure you've been on. And so much of this is that you're talking about here is about the way in which you're investing into the future and you're investing into everybody around you. There's there's a there's a real interdependence there, isn't there? There's a real reciprocity around this, and this is why you can't separate education from business, or or, or commerce, or or the community. I mean, this education is there to serve the community, to equip, empower, and enable students to thrive in their world. And and clearly, there's a very very powerful example that you're providing there. This has been a really interesting final part of our conversation which has been very much about how you've been designing your future and then how you've been investing in it and the, and the, the two parts of that. What's next for year 13? It depends on what day you ask, Will and I. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we're incredibly proud um, to be you know, an Australian um, tech company. We, we're you know, fortunate that, you know, 10, 15 odd years ago, the technology was really kind of this unknown area. And I think that we've now been able to see the outliers and the successes of you know, Alassian, Canva, Afterpay, that you know, there's been some businesses that have really helped lay a platform and a trajectory for other businesses to be able to aim towards. And so for Will and I, we're, you know, we're very, and not just Will and I, it's our, it's our whole team is very much so focused on the betterment of the Australian economy um, and the empowerment of the future of you know young people and the, and the generational impact that we can have. It's the first time we feel in, in human history that you can actually cause such change in a generation due to technology and the scalability of it. So our ambitions are very much so um, to improve the outcomes um, in Australia over the over the next few years and. You know, it's again depends on what day you ask. Is there's it this this problem that we're we're tackling and that we're a part of is something which is systemic and it's a global issue and it's something which isn't you know mutually exclusive to Australia. We're seeing that significant changes in economies around the world as we speak, and we look at the impact that COVID has had on traditional industries and and what that's going to mean and education and access to education. So. I think that for us, we want to be a part of that wave um, and looking at global, uh, you know, international expansion is certainly something that has become more on the horizon than it has previously. So um, I've probably been a bit ambiguous in that answer, but it's really, um, we have a job at hand here in Australia. Um, we're, as I said, we're, we're incredibly proud to be an Australian tech company and 
um, the trajectory that we're on and, and the ambitions that we have are to be able to push it as far as we've gone. And that's really been Will and I's relationships from the get-go is that we've pushed each other. We've rose to every challenge. We've taken on, you know, every proverbial risk there is. So I think it's um, it's it's what the future holds for us. And um, it's probably where we hope to be in, in the next few years. Watch this space game changes. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you so much, Saxon, for your candor. Thank you for your time. And thank you for the opportunity to get to know you. I've really, really enjoyed the deep insights you have into the way learning works in the world, the way it doesn't work, and the journey that you've taken to write your story and to build your character along the way. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having us, Phil. I'm sure it's probably not the last time we'll, we'll, we'll be with you guys. And we're yeah, full supporters of, of the game changes and the school of tomorrow. So congratulations to all the work that yeah, you guys have um, you guys have been doing it. It's it's amazing, and it's it's great to see that this is something that a number of people are really starting to get a hold of. Cool, likewise. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate the time and um, big support as well. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow. Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.